Hello and welcome to another episode of the Architects Are From Mars and Builders Are From Venus podcast, brought to you by Ruby Sketch. Let's get started. Okay, thanks for joining us for episode three. My name is Drew Povey and today I'm co-hosting with Andrew Dwight. Now, the reason we're doing these podcasts is because we are passionate about the design and construction industry. Many companies say they are, but we actually mean it. And we believe that if everyone in the industry better understands each other, we'll communicate better, leading to stronger relationships, more sustainable design and construction, and more profitable businesses. So in this series, we'll be talking to architects, designers, builders, estimators, and product manufacturers. We want to discuss the issues that are costing each profession time and money, as well as taking a look at what we could be doing to create more successful businesses. Before we start, we'd like to give special thanks to our platinum sponsor, Brickworks Building Products. Brickworks are one of Australia's largest building product companies with a product range that includes bricks, pavers, stone, masonry blocks, precast concrete panels, and the list goes on. They lead through style and innovation, creating beautiful products that last forever. In this episode, we're going to be speaking to Gary Jones. Gary is a registered architect with over 40 years' experience in the industry and has worked all over the world, North America, Australia, Oceania, Southeast Asia, and the Middle East. Gary has specialized in detailed design and project delivery on medium to high-rise residential and commercial developments, as well as single and multi-housing projects. But these days, he spends most of his time teaching architecture to students. So we're going to talk to him about all of the things that frustrate him as an architect, as well as all of the issues that he thinks costs the profession time and money. Okay. Hi, Gary. Thanks for coming along today and agreeing to have a chat with Andrew and I. That's fine, uh, Drew. Well, I think we should jump right in, and I think our listeners would love to know a little bit more about you and your experience in the design and construction industry. So let's start there. Okay. Well, um, finishing high school, I went to the University of New South Wales. I started off part-time, which was great. Uh, biggest advantage there was it got me a little bit of money in the pocket, but also helped me greatly at university by starting to actually doing drawings that were being built. That was good. Um, from there, from graduating, I've been in the industry now for, say, just over 40 years, and half that time's been overseas, so I'm fairly uh, experienced in lots of things, um, imperial, metric, also the different uh, types of building uh, throughout the world. Um I'm back here in Australia working, worked here for uh, 10 years this time and um, slowly slowing down and probably delving into the education department, uh, looking at uh, training some of the younger kids coming up through. So that's a little bit of a history on me. Excellent. So the title of our series is pretty self-explanatory, but in short, we think that our industry is pretty terrible at communicating with one another from architects and designers to builders, trades, even product manufacturers. So if you were sitting in a pub and having a few drinks with a builder or other project stakeholder and you get to that beautiful point where all the bullshit is washed away by the alcohol and you can be truly honest, what would you say? Unfortunately, this uh, this is limited to 40 minutes, this interview, but we'll, we'll give it a go. <laughs> Probably 
at, at university, we had, we had a subject that was called uh, graphic communication, and obviously it was doing drawings and presenting them. In turn, they'd go to not only the uh, the teacher, but they end up going to builders and other consultants. And the idea there is that the drawing is uh, basically using uh, as good as a thousand words, as the old saying goes. So graphically, we're communicating of what we want to design or actually in, in final things to build. And in doing that, that's the un- understanding of us doing that and then providing that in a way that uh, uh, clients, uh, contractors and the consultants can understand what we want to do. Um, in that way there, a lot, of the, a lot of the ability to read a drawing goes to uh, the particular person uh, attempting to decipher it. And in a lot of cases, uh, a lot of meetings were taking place and say client and consultant coordination. This type of things did solve a lot of the problems. Due to the fact of, uh, say, time is money, we all know that, a lot of the meetings over the, the years or decades tended to slow down a bit, and uh, you'll find that a lot of it was left to the new introduction of uh, CAD to solve all these problems. Uh, the early parts of CAD did not solve these problems as they were still done individually. Uh, so therefore, what you're looking at is people still deciphering the drawings. And uh, as we know today, you know, it clashes uh, on a screen of different uh, consultants' work is different to clashes uh, on the site. So looking at it from that point of view, that's the, the main part of probably trying to build the other part is that I think the cooperation and the coordination of all the people, it is a team effort to build something. And in trying to um, put a good team together, it's relatively easy to do depending where and what you're building. However, overall, you generally have a new set of consultants, obviously new client, or if you're lucky enough to have a good, good client base where they keep recurring, and you obviously have different builders every now and then. So a lot of the rapport has to be rebuilt at the beginning of every job. Uh, and with that rapport, you tend to get trust. Um, as a young architect, I found that uh, working with builders was a little bit difficult at some times related to how they would start on the job. And it's not I don't mean coming out of the ground, it's how they would approach the job in terms of uh, paper letter writing, things of that uh, ilk, where the magical word of the V word would uh, appear fairly early in a job, the V word being variation. And you'd learn very quick that if any of your documents lacked anything, right, or, or some other part of the work that you were doing there related to the consultant's work, because in those days the uh, architect was, say, the lead consultant, Still, or still is today, but uh, the project manager evolved, and with the project manager coming in, they took a lot of the uh, the cream of the architect's work and obvious fee structure. So, looking at uh, working with and coordinating with all your consultants, that there, and in a lot of cases, you might get a builder involved, right? So the works would tend to flow a lot easier, then, but you, you have that trust and rapport with the people, and that there does tend to uh, create an easier job. And if there are any uh, blues or arguments going through, then you'll, you'll sort them out face-to-face. 
And one way or the other, something has to be resolved in, in order for the project to go ahead and, and, and sort of reach the original design intent of the work that the client wished to proceed with. So uh, that's uh, an important thing uh, to, to get that uh, to get that rapport going. Um, on site, um, architects were involved a lot more on site. Uh, in t- you know, in today's world, the DNC, the design and construct industry, is really taken to the forefront, especially on the larger jobs where clients are basically offered through the help of the project manager, they're going to get a uh, like a guaranteed maximum price, and uh, the project manager will rule that. In this particular case, the design manager from the builder would probably tend to rule that in choice of detail and material. So a lot of the the drawing and the detailing that the architect used to do originally uh, has gone, but it's being followed up through once the construction um, starts where perhaps the architect has been novated to the builder on um, larger jobs. On smaller jobs, you once again based upon if there is a project manager on it where you're going to answer to his call where he'd be saying like project managers are uh, excellent at basically they can read drawings uh, and calendars uh, they can point fingers and they can yell and they basically tell uh, the tune <laughs> in relation to how, how the project is going to, uh, to move ahead and you know there's some good ones and there's some very very bad ones I guess that the project manager uh, is breaking down the traditional form of architecture because, as you said, if they're taking a, a section of the, the, the job total percentage, well, then there isn't as much incentive for the architect to fight for a job, I, I, I guess. I didn't really, although I knew it was happening, it, it didn't strike a chord until you just said it, that the project managers um, are taking what the architect used to do on site away. Uh, Why do you think that occurred? Do you think it was because architects were too busy and didn't have time to service the the building as well as they could have? Or do you think it was the builders wanted more control and and then they uh, employed the project manager? Or do you think that the client pushed for the project manager in the original stage? I think probably uh, originally it was the client. uh, architects, architects are beautiful people. You, you know, just ask one. They're, they're there. They've been trained to do. <laughs> they've been trained. They've been trained to do many, many things, right? And a lot of them, they've sort of touched the cusp of it. They've uh, been able to do this, but traditionally, there were, you know, depending on the office, there was you know five or six different roles, and a lot of the roles have been taken uh, away from the architect. Architects. In many ways, uh, or were notoriously bad for money and time. Yep. They'd uh, they'd be looking. They'd have a budget, of which is very difficult to get out of a client. Sometimes, you know. Sorry, I'll just go back a bit. With your clients, you're looking at sort of you know uh, corporations or companies where there's uh, money involved and not much heart, and you're looking for other which yep. are private uh, clients where there's a bit of money involved, a lot of money for the client, but there's also a lot of his heart involved, right? So the uh, on larger projects, you're looking yep. at uh, like clients 
uh, or bodies of clients wanting to get the job done on time, on budget and that. And if it looks like what the original sketch was, that's fine. Whereas the architect has been trained and he wants to go through to the nth degree to get all the details done properly and how they look to the original design intent and they'll go through. And a lot of time and money was, was lost here, right? Yep. And that's where I think... Uh, the project manager evolves. He, he may have been an architect at one stage and he's gone across because he can read drawings uh, and he will take a different role and he will look at his watch, look at the calendar and then look at the budget yep. on, on, a, on, a, on a very uh, often, uh, quite often, to make sure that it's head, heading, in, heading in, um, in the correct direction. Um, that's, 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 what I, that's what I think how it happened. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, I, I guess, look, when you're talking larger projects, and as you say, it's all about the feasibility of the project, not so much the heart and soul of the project, for instance, a residential home. Uh, and there's probably a pretty good chance that the people that are actually paying for the project to go together aren't reading the detail. And, and it sounds like what you said is that, you know, the architect was spending a lot of time in the detail to try and eliminate issues down the track yet the client themselves didn't see the value and then complained when the big V word came out, variation, uh, and therefore I, I guess that probably works more reasoning towards why they employed a project manager. So I guess to recap, essentially a, a bunch of investors have gone in to create a big project, couldn't be bothered reading the detail and probably wouldn't understand it anyway, said we can't see the value in the architect detailing this project up Therefore, don't worry about doing it. We'll pay you a little less money and we'll get the project manager to do that and offset the budget value. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, is that, that sounds about right, you reckon? Yeah, you'll find. As I said, in the bigger jobs, uh, the architect normally will get novated through to the builder on, on a true DNC contract. On, on other jobs where I'll say on a smaller type of job where, oh, we don't need you to supervise the work. And I said, you know, sorry, uh, we're architects. We don't supervise, right? Yeah. We'll make sure that the design meets the intent, right? Yeah. It's up to the builder to supervise. Right. Now, when he's doing that work, if he's looking at a drawing and he's not getting it or there's something, then they'll call on the architect. You know, they'll use an RFI type system to come to and say, hey, what do you actually want here? This isn't working out. How do you want it? And you say, well, I'm not, uh, I'm not engaged for that by the client to do that work. And then say, but as, you know, it's something, maybe it's addition or something, I can help you there. But most of the time, you'll find that uh, the client will tend to save money at the stages, right? You know, they might, might cut off at, uh, you've got the, um, um, the development application, you've got the construction certificate, and I say, oh, we don't need you anymore. And I say, what about forbidding you? Yeah. Oh no, we, we we can do that ourselves. And what about the administration of the work, where you're looking to see what's built, uh, looking uh, at progress claims, etc. Those types of things. It's it's interesting. Uh, one thing that um, I noticed throughout my career, and, and probably even before I, I learned to draw and design, uh, I was actually working with a bunch of architects, and the architects were, well, actually wasn't architects building design. Now, this is probably an isolated incident. I'm not sure it might be common in, in the industry, but when uh, someone would approach me and say, hey, Andrew, we have a set of plans here and we can put you in uh, a good position to get this job. However, we want a kickback from you as a builder uh, to of a, of a total percentage of the total job. So I think at the time it was 6%, I was asked, 
for um, to to actually get the job. So I would go in and I'd give it a price, and obviously I needed to be in the ballpark. But what I had to yeah. add on top of my price was the percentage that I had to give the architect. Is that something that's that's normal, or or is that you know uh, common practice? Uh, I, I don't consider it normal. You'll find for a you know a, an architect. Uh, putting a job out for bid, you know, he's going to ask for, you know, maybe half a dozen prices and he'll receive them. He'll probably knock the top one off, knock the bottom one off, and he'll have a discussion with, you know, the middle three or four. But as far as uh, liaising with a builder uh, prior to or during contract negotiations, that's fine. For what you tell one builder, you should be telling the rest of them. But to yeah. to favour to favour one in front of the other other builders, uh, so obvious, obviously nothing that we've been trained to do, but I imagine it would happen in some cases. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And 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 possibly if the word gets out to the client that that did happen, then I guess it would take the trust away from the builder, uh, from the architect. I, I I guess, and you know. I was a little bit shocked because I never knew that that happened. And however, I've, I've been asked that over my lifetime and the amount of projects I've built, I've been asked that probably, you know, 15 or 20 times to, to, that a, that a percentage of, of the build would go back to the architect and the client wasn't aware of it. Um, and, and I think it did cause, for me, it was confronting. Uh, however, as I spoke to more builders, I went, yeah, that's how it is. And that's what we do. And yeah, it was, it was probably something I wasn't aware of. So yeah, it's interesting to. Well, uh, you know, uh, it's not, nothing that I've ever done or the or companies I've worked for have, uh, have ever done. You know, it's, you, you set it up fair and square for everyone to have a bid. And if you, in a bidding period, if you tell one builder something, you will generally yep. tell the other builders. So that's all on, on equal uh, playing ground. So you're not, you're not actually yeah, as a big favouring. Yeah, what's well, a good way to, to go about? And I guess it gives the architect more uh, an integrity uh, and more likely to be for the builder to get them next time to do the jobs. Um, do you find that most of your work came from the client down or from the builder up? Uh, nearly always came from the uh, the client. I'd, you know, I'd, uh, you'd, uh, you'd, you'd you'd get on well with builders, right? Uh, when the job's finished, uh, you know, you leave as friends. Sometimes I've got mates, right? But that normally, uh, there was always a bit of friction through a job in that you're, you're protecting the interests of uh, the client, looking after his money, and you're looking after uh, your own design intent related to what the owner or the client thought he was getting. So there, there is a bit of friction, but, but mostly it's okay. Uh, it's, it's, in a way, it's, it's not a game, but it uh, could be, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I mean, it's a fascinating topic. Uh, uh, I think that there's a, there's a lot to be to be had uh, out of there, and 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 really, what we're trying to do with this series is is move the industry forwards in a way that we can all work together, all be profitable, and the client gets value for money. And uh, uh, and and I hope by you know what we're doing with the three D side of things can be an assistance there to the industry because if we all work together and you know we're all on eye to eye it's nice to get to the end of the job and everyone can shake hands and move on to the next one I guess that's an ideal world well a lot of that can happen sort of as I mentioned earlier in in, in the uh, the the DNC work where the the contractor is going to have a design manager 
right? And this this yep. is probably drifting down from large uh, multi uh, contractors down to smaller ones, where the design manager for the builder he's really trying hard, as in they're normally architects, uh, trying for the best looking product he can get out of there that, that's functional and it works, and at a price that the builder can afford. And sometimes the builder might take a bite because he knows it's going to look better. Right, yep. and that's the that's the, the attitude there of trying to get through the best to the client, and in lots of ways, it's going away from say the traditional part, which is basically left mainly to large government projects and you know sort of uh, um, other corporations. But um, get, getting that uh, that feel there for what the other person wants and feeling each other in that way, you're going to get through to the end with a, a decent looking project and. As I said, hopefully on time and hopefully on budget. Look, I agree, and I, and I agree with what you say when you say decent-looking project because if you allow builders to get too involved in the design, unfortunately you get something that may be cheap to build. However, it has no aesthetic properties, and you know what? Uh, before you know it, uh, you, could, you could end up with just a whole heap of square boxes, and uh, I think the, the architect plays a really crucial part in the industry, and it's a shame to hear that they've lost a lot of the um, control that they had earlier in the piece. Um, I can only go back 40 years, but all those particular roles that we had have, sl- have slowly been eroded, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it, is a sh- it is a shame in a way, uh, but the, the project manager has stepped in uh, and probably in many ways can manage that better than what uh, the, the architects were doing back then. And... Uh, people my age can bitch about that, but the newer ones coming, the newer architects and companies coming through today, they probably weren't even used to it, right? And so they, in a theory, they do have more time. They do have more time to spend on their uh, designs to hopefully get the actual overall appearance, the detailing, all of those most necessary things done uh, accurately and pleasing to the eye. Uh, in that time, and remembering again, going back to time is money. Because the more time you spend um, sketching on a piece of paper or drawing up on a screen, what well, is taking you more time, and your hourly rate cuts to cut through the fees fairly quickly. Well, Andrew and I often talk about um, IPD, which is Integrated Project Delivery, and it's interesting yeah. because over the course of this series and in our coming episodes you do hear a lot more about um, obviously the different professions having more compassion for the other profession. And the only way that can happen is when you understand their trials and tribulations and what they're going through. And I think that often it is a communication breakdown that creates the disconnect. Like if I was to go back to what you said earlier about, you know, if, a, if an architect hasn't been uh, assigned to do the project management side of things on, a, for example, a residential job, and the builder yeah. still has the set of plans, their, their course of action is to call the architect and say, what do you mean here? And the architect is kind of a little bit stuck because they're, obviously they're not going to get paid for giving the, the time that they would need to go in and, and give the RFI. And so it comes to an, an integrity kind of thing and how do I want the project to work? Do I want it to be a success and beautiful and will I give that extra time away for free even though I've not been contracted to do so? And it can be a very difficult thing to even communicate to the builder because the builder is saying, well, I need to know you designed it. Tell me what it is. So mm-hmm. there are these things that can cause additional issues that most of us aren't really aware of. 
Yeah, and that should be contractually put into it between the client and the, the client engage the builder. The, the builder, the client should be saying, well, there is no further um, paid work for the architect, right. therefore the builder, you sort it out. But unfortunately, it doesn't happen that way. That's, that's why I tried to say at the time where uh, if they asked you a question, you know, if it was a simple thing like addition or that, you know, I'd, I'd do that. And in, and in doing that, because I think it's my obligation to do that, Okay. But in other things, where there's a design intent involved, where you'd be, uh, where it'd be a choice or a number of things, so it's on a, that type of job, you don't normally draw every detail, right? You'd, yeah. Um, unfortunately, uh, architects love what they do, and uh, you can't live on love, love alone. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and you'll find that a, a lot of the extra work is done at no cost to make sure that they try and get the thing working and looking good because you'll yep. find that part of the, uh, I'll say, the, the the look of the building in a way is our own advertisement or marketing of looking at person drives past and says, wow, isn't that, isn't that looking good? You go in, knock on yep. the door, say, wow, who, who designed, who was the architect for this? You know, and hopefully they'd say, oh, Gary Jones is. And then they'd go yep. back and find you and then that's a recurring way of getting work, looking looking at the jobs. Yeah, look, I mean, that's, that's good that we've got you here, Gary, because, yeah, not everybody thinks and talks the same way you do, but if your heart and soul is in your job and, and, and your job satisfaction comes from the end product delivery, uh, it makes a big difference. And you know what? I understand the business side of things, and me coming originally through Clerical Works, it was all about how do you make money while doing it, and, and unfortunately, that can deliver sour results, and, and, and it is nice to hear that that's the way you think about a project because I believe that'll get you all your work. Um, however, as you say, the new architects that are coming through are probably more likely to be taught, hey, a certain amount of hours per day and a certain amount of jobs you can do per year, you need to get it done. And, and I guess that's going to cause friction uh, between the builder and the architect if the builder's just to dealing with someone like yourself. You may have mis- mistook me there a little bit. You find that the architects are realising that, you know, the younger guys are realising what they're supposed to do and they'll do it, but mm-hmm. it's in, it's within our nature to do the best job we can, and and you'll find in, in in lots of cases that oh I'll spend an extra hour and oh you're not getting paid for it, but you know what I'll probably still do the work anyway because they're after that uh, best results. So nothing better at the end of the project to have a team there and you're know, throwing the keys over to the owner. And the owner's smiling, and the, and then you see that, and then you get a buzz as a team. Uh, you can't have always a, a happy team members, but overall, you you tend to achieve that. On on small projects, it's, it's fantastic. On, on larger projects, it's it's great. Uh, you have to, in some ways, use the the compromise, right? And look at the overall picture for the thing. Unfortunately, it does come back in a lot of ways uh, to. Uh, to, to money, but if the client is keen and the client's involved in some of the discussions, not all of them, um, the client can sort of get there and say, oh, Gary, if, you know, here's, uh, here's $1,000. Can you appease some of his uh, queries here, right? If he, you know, knowing that he's cut you out of the job earlier and I'm still getting lots of questions, right? Yeah, and yeah. does, you know, do the questions mean that uh, I've been, uh, uh, lack in, you know, slack in my work. 
I, you know, and you say, no, I haven't, because I've done what I was uh, obligated by contract to do. Okay, and that's where looking and setting up a job at the beginning. You know, as long as you tell the uh, the client that if you don't do, if I if I don't do this for you, this could happen. This could happen. This could happen. Right. Yeah. And then it's it's all on him. And and you know that you know, uh, even on prospect, you you don't draw every nail. No, you don't. Do you, are you finding that? Do you ever share a model, or do you just share the output of the model in in paper still? Uh, as as an older guy, uh, I'm still a paper person, right? But uh, I've 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 shared uh, a couple a couple of models, right? I, um, you find sort of with structural engineers, they're still in uh, uh, antiquated AutoCAD. So yeah. I send it over to them, and they can go. They'll uh, I'll show them a telematic transfer it because they'll download uh, um, SketchUp. And then yep. they can work. They can work from from my drawings, and vice versa. Uh, I can get an AutoCAD drawing and transfer it through to uh, to a a, a, plus, a plus spec model. Yeah, I, I look. I when I when I was designing and building myself, I uh, I found it good to have a meeting with everyone with the three D model before we even drafted it, because you know I guess obviously starting in three D. Um, Instead of AutoCAD, it just meant that I could communicate quickly uh, and get the design intent over the line. Uh, I found that I was communicating with the 3D model all of the time, and uh, it'd be interesting to see whether future generations or existing now do a similar thing, or or everyone reverts to the 2D. Um, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to try it, Gary, but um, I'm actually building a project now. It's only small, uh, but it's uh, it's complex. And we're using the 3D model on the phone and we, we didn't print any plans. Uh, and you know what? It's actually paying dividends uh, a lot because the time I would have spent to actually detail it or use the existing details and just plot them on a drawing, I'm actually not even doing it. I'm actually sending the full model, saving a scene, and then on the phone you can actually click the scene and it will take you to the detail. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it, 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 it takes a bit of time, but I'll, I'll in the future I'll... We'll see if we can organise a um, uh, another webinar where we can show that, and uh, I, I guess I'll get to see what it would have cost me to do it one way and what it does another. It's a good cost versus actual exercise, but um, the only thing I found the problem yeah. with is that whenever they've got a welder or a grinder out on site, it wrecks my phone because the grinding sparks <laughs> landed on my phone screen. But yeah, it's no good. For that. Uh, I, um haven't I haven't I have not tried that at all. I'd be interested in trying it, but it, as I said uh, for all you young blokes, uh, it's a lot easier for you with with the technology, right? Uh, to do that, I'm, I still like paper. You know, I can sketch on it and I can put it in my back pocket. I can you know put it on a pile of bricks. I can you know, do all those types of things with it. Like uh, the, the technology uh, has just improved. Like you know. If you guys think it's improved, imagine how it's improved for me. I was, I was living and working in the middle of the Pacific, and the facsimile machine was invented. Like it, it blew my mind. Right? Uh, I was wor- I was working in a coastal province in China, and emails were opened up. Like all that stuff for me just absolutely blew my mind. In in uh, primitive areas, not not being able to to see something, or you might have an old catalogue. And bringing things out of your back and mind, trying to sketch things, and here we are with this. And I think what you're suggesting, uh, you know, each 
each side office should have, should be having a uh, uh, a computer with a model in it where uh, you can bring uh, your, your people in there, your different trades, you need to have a look at something to see how uh, there might be one more important way to go than the other in making a decision on yeah. site. Yeah. Well, that's one thing I did notice of making decisions on site because um, uh, nothing ever goes according to plan. I don't think it matters. You know, as, as you sort of know, I've been building for almost 30 years and uh, I drew this drawing up and the amount of times I've actually made edits to it um, to suit what was happening on site, whether it be that the supplier delivered the wrong material or I ordered the wrong material and went, I don't have time to go and reorder it. I'm going to have to redo the drawing to change it. And it's kind of a, a molding work in progress, but it's happening on the fly instead of, you know, I think probably, you know, I remember 15 years ago that we had to do a, a detail change, send it back to the architect. And, you know, he's busy, he isn't allowed to do this. And it could also be that contractually he's not contracted to do it, but the job comes to a halt and all of a sudden, yeah. you know, we're stuck. And, and I, I do like how we can do things on the fly a little bit more um, with the technology. But um, something that I just want to raise is that it's flattering to say that obviously you've gone through all of these. Uh, technological changes and it is something that a lot of people actually ask when they jump into Plusdeck. They are concerned about the learning curve and so you obviously have been using Plusdeck now for for quite some time. I've seen some of the models that you're doing and obviously you're also using it to teach now and and to to really make sure that the up-and-coming students know how to design and build etc and and therefore use the software. So just quickly jump in there. Um, how did you find your learning experience with Plusbeck? I discovered SketchUp somehow just playing on the computer, and I think I spent the next 24 hours on it, and I couldn't believe how easy it was to uh, to block form things and how great they were. When I got to the detail, it just massively blew my mind. Uh, I could not believe I couldn't put a window in a wall that I'd created. It was horrible. SketchUp... It's just lines and planes, right? And then uh, stumbling through part of the way and looking for answers, I came across a thing called Pluspec. Like within about five minutes, I was actually speaking with Andrew on the phone uh, because it really intrigued me. And he sent me through a sample. And what it did, it transferred all those lines and planes uh, into materials for me. And if I had a wall out of a, say it was a masonry wall, and I wanted to put a window in, you just clicked it and it went, it went through both skins. I, I couldn't believe that for the hours that I was wasting on, uh, on SketchUp, right, I needed something like this to get my head into actually forming uh, a building with detail. And that, that's, that, to me, that to me was fantastic. And I've, you know, probably uh, wasted hours, days on uh, playing with Plusbeck and I've, got sort of weeks and weeks and weeks of a really good productive work out of it because you spend the time on it. It's like anything. If you spend time on it, you're going to get better at it. And I'm, I'm not a whiz-bang at Plusback in any way, shape, or the form because a lot of the a lot of the buildings that we're doing, they aren't the typical buildings that you're doing uh, in, the, in the rows of streets along Sydney or Newcastle or anything, right? A lot, most of the buildings we do are, are bespoke buildings. And you'll find that they've got different roof shapes, they've got different shapes of wall, which are encapsulated by the roof, all those types of things that are necessary. And you need to speak to, you know, the backup you guys have got. I can speak with someone and I get ways of doing things. I'm trying to do it the traditional prospect way. 
and yet what you get there are ways of doing the bespoke things that I want to do by doing it in a yeah. in a system of ways to get there. You know, doing the, the shapes of a gable wall, which is offset, for example. Uh, you know, there's uh, uh, nearly always an answer there uh, for me. If I can't do it, um, I'll I'll ask the the experts. You know, that, that's that's what you guys oh, are there for. Mm. I'm glad you, I'm glad to, to hear that. It's nice to hear that. Uh, we yeah we we do our best to to try and help everyone where we can. And you know I think what one of the true benefits of, of um, Plusbeck are that it is inside of SketchUp as well because you know there's always going to be you know uh, special types of walls as you say or even you know I looked at a property the other day that actually had a bulging concave. Uh, at the front, and I looked at it and went, you know what, I'd never think you'll be able to create parametric software to do that. Uh, however, how many times in your life do you ever have a bulging concave wall? So, you know, you can utilise SketchUp at the same time as Plusbeck and, and still get the result that you require, and I, I think that's a benefit for sure. Yeah, it's that technology of one and, and turning it into the, uh, say, the, the bricks and mortar of, uh, of the Plusbeck one. Of which you know you're not going to get a builder to bid on a uh, SketchUp drawing, right? Get it, get it, the materials there to get the uh, you know the, the quantity, the quality, and then the numbers of them, and then they've got a great opportunity to give you a price which hopefully is within budget and it fits the reason you know the reason uh, purpose for reason. Yeah. Now, Gary, we are going to have to start wrapping up soon, but I do have a question because you are using Prospect with your students, and I believe that you are teaching uh, young architects. How are you seeing the benefits for them using and adopting Prospect to SketchUp? Is it, do their eyes just light up? Are, they, are you seeing that you're able to teach detailing far better than, than just on a 2D black and white drawing? I just want to know what, what are your thoughts? What are the main benefits in, that you're seeing when you're teaching and using Prospect with your students? A lot of the kids uh, at this time aren't really into detailing. <laughs> They're into the big picture, the overall thing. But uh, what what you'll find with with some of the younger guys at uh, say summer at university, you find they they've uh, they're they're having some fun with it, and they're actually producing, I'll say, good looking documents with it. With the the younger ones, uh, they're still looking at due to I'll say the software uh, in the school, they're looking more at uh, the original part they do AutoCAD and I'm slowly changing the guys there into looking at uh, the easier to use, right, uh, Plusbeck, we'll sketch up with Plusbeck, and looking at the Plusbeck for actually developing the drawings with the use of materials. Right, instead of getting away from you know coloured walls, and that they're actually got a masonry wall or something of that nature, they, it's it's quite intuitive. It's uh, uh, easy to use, and for them, as uh, if they're if they're graduating in eighteen months, becoming a building designer, uh, and they want to work for themselves or work for a small company, uh, you've got Plusbeck there, which is a easy to use and it's very cost effective for a small company. Right, so you, you're not you're not paying through the nose to something which, in, in my opinion, is was was the basis of it 20 odd years ago, uh, but now you've got a, a a program which can can give what you want uh, quite quickly, quite accurately, 
and at a I'll say at a good at a good price, right? You're looking at the, the cost of you know the, the major CAD systems. Yeah, for me, look, it is true that that people going through university or you know any other college, whatever it may be, it is very difficult to get and progress to a point where you feel confident in detailing. I think that we've done a few surveys now. Probably the, the biggest thing that young graduates walk away from uh, from their studies, they they feel very overwhelmed and don't believe that they 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 really have the knowledge with detailing. And I think for me. That's one of the big benefits that we're hearing about Plusback. It's being able to, even if you're thinking big picture, you're able to still think small picture because you're virtually designing and building the project in the 3D model. And, and even if you haven't gone to the point where you've done a huge amount of detailing there, there's still a lot. So unfortunately, though, I think it is time that we need to wrap up. So thank you very much for coming along today. It's been a great chat. And I hope that you continue to find success with Plusbeck, both personally and with your students. Yeah, I hope I do, and I hope I get far more students into it because it's um, it's ease of use. Well, unfortunately, that's the end of another episode of the Architects are from Mars, Builders are from Venus podcast. If you would like to take part, don't hesitate to reach out. But before we go, I would also like to thank our gold sponsors. Builders Profits provides coaching and training to the building industry no matter where you live in the world. Dinsel is a lightweight, stay-in-place formwork system which, when filled with concrete, produces a load-bearing, fire-resistant structural element. And Stramit is a leading Australian manufacturer of raw-formed steel building products. See you next time. Oh.